Welcome to Automating the Chain, the weekly podcast and webinar specifically engineered to support and educate executives as they explore the potential of industrial automation. Each week, we sit down with an executive leader or their technical counterpart of an international organization to discuss how they plan to leverage industrial automation to advance their business. We will also have startups focused on automating the supply chain explain their technology in an accessible way. Experts in the field will color in historical and current case studies. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? Very well. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited to speak with you. As I mentioned to you, you know, in our last chat that I've been looking into Tompkins International and your history is absolutely fascinating. You've got about 45 years of history. You've got a huge amount of expertise in the world of the supply chain. You, as the president of Tompkins Robotics, uh, have been leading the Tompkins Robotics strategy and the growth of that division within the larger group. And today I'm really excited to learn more with your I would say over two decades of experience of understanding where is this industry going? Why are some of the largest supply chain consultancy groups investing in robotics, industrial robotics? Why is it, what is it about now or in the last, I would say, 10, 20 years that there's been the strategic move? And I'd like to understand a bit more, but would you like to just say a few words about yourself and your experience prior to Tompkins and why you moved to Tompkins? Um, well, um, I want to say thank you as well uh, for inviting me today. I was looking forward to our conversation. As far as my background, um, uh, I've got a little gray hair, so I've been around the block a few times. I was in the Air Force. Then I went to work at Tompkins International in the consulting group. A long time ago. I left there after a period of time and I went to GAR Consulting and then on to Deloitte Consulting. And then in the 2000s, I came back to Tompkins as a consultant again and became a partner. And then when we started kicking around and thinking about robotics, I jumped at the opportunity to, to head this division. And it's been an exciting and wonderful ride ever since. That's very, very exciting. And of course, Tompkins Robotics has been around from 2017. Can you tell us a little bit about why that strategic decision was made? Why that year? I know wine is very good from 2017, but why robotics? Well, you know, the, um, at the time, and going back to 15 and 16, there was a, a move for robotics. You started seeing companies actually getting traction to do things robotically, pick and place robots, transport robots, etc. And so when we were thinking about robotics as a consultancy and best practices and what people needed to do, it dawned upon us that no one was doing item sortation with a robot. Everything um, as far as sortation was being done by humans into a put wall or traditional systems that have been around for decades like Bombay, Tilt Tray, Crossbelt, slide tray were the same thing they've been for decades. And so we thought about how, why can't we apply the same 
technology of an autonomous mobile robot to the sortation equation. And uh, it, it just came together and coalesced after that. We figured out a lot of things. Um, when we announced Tompkins Robotics and the T-Sort models, we were at ProMat 2017, and we had one robot on a one meter by one meter box, and it was doing the box step. Just back and forth, tilt. Back and forth, tilt. And um, everything has evolved since then to a lot of different things. We now have four different models, a lot of different features, and we've learned a lot. And our customers have been adopting uh, our technology and signing up for it. Uh, six of the top 25 retailers are customers, and uh, others in the top 100. We're also working with package handling companies, postal systems, etc. It's been a a very wild and exciting ride, and the evolution from 17 to where we are today has been phenomenal. I can I can totally imagine. And by the way, I love that your robot is called T Robot, which uh, <laughs> or T Sort. Uh, forgive me. I I had a little giggle when I saw that. So tell us a little bit more. Is it just T Sort? How many robots do you have? I mean, can you just give us a bit of an idea of why, why T-Sort? This seems to be the one that is most spoken about. What is it used for? What goods is it used for? For those who are very much in the supply chain industry, but also outside, those who are looking at you know, ordering online on Amazon, they probably want to know what the robot is doing for them. Well, I would welcome anyone that's listening in on this to uh, go to our website. That's uh, TompkinsRobotics.com. And you can see videos and pictures and, and write-ups, which will explain it a lot more than I can in a short uh, a moment here. But uh, we have over 10,000 robots in operation now. They're primarily the original robot, which is called the T-Sort. And the T-Sort runs at two and a half meters per second. It has a tilt tray or cross belt top on it. And it sorts individual items or small packages to destinations. And it has anywhere from a... a a business card weight capacity to up to 33 pounds. We've also developed the T-Sort Plus, and it's a minority of the robots that are deployed, but it's up to 66 pounds, and it can be outfitted with a belt or a tilt tray mechanism. It's a larger machine. Uh, think about large packages for that. There's a T-Sort Mini, which is a small one. Think about um, pharmaceutical, jewelry, cosmetics, things like that. It has a five pound capacity and runs on a much smaller grid pattern. And then we also have a new model called the T-Rail, which is an overhead monorail robot. And, and the reason why people are adopting these things is because we heard loud and clear from customers and clients in 15 and 16 that they wanted flexibility, complete flexibility, portability, be able to do anything anywhere with robotic, well, not necessarily robotic, but plug-and-play elements that they can configure like a Lego set. And so these robots allow you to do that. The robots run on platforms uh, and sort into totes or cartons or even bags. And everything about our system is on wheels and they all hook together. So you can roll a system off of trucks and start hooking it together. In a few days, you've got a system installed and ready to uh, start testing. Uh, we actually deployed one system last December in two weeks. 
We showed up, knocked on the door, and two weeks later, they were, were in full operation, and we had left the site. So it's, it's a really interesting thing. And so traditional systems take months to install. They're inflexible. They can't be relocated. It's a monumental effort to modify them and change them and add capacity. And people were saying in 15 and 16, we need complete flexibility, and that's what this was designed around. So two weeks to deploy rather than months, that sounds exceptional. I mean, does that include you know, all the maintenance? So if someone, let's say a large enterprise right now is thinking, I'm going to invest in the, uh, the T-sort, uh, would the T-sort come and it will take about two weeks to integrate and there's someone who comes and sets it up, a bit like a washing machine uh, or any other device for <laughs> Uh, the manufacturing industry and uh, those who work in it. But so they come for two weeks. Does that include insurance? What about maintenance? What, what does it include? Insurance, maintenance? Uh, you know, what does the cost of such a robot entail? What, what is included? What are the services included? So uh, a typical project, to give you a perspective, is we would have uh, a proposal that accepted. Then while we're doing the detailed designing to make sure everyone in their IT department and their operations and their engineering are all on board with the concept that we accepted on, we'll simultaneously be doing the contract negotiation if we don't already have a contract with them. And then once that is done, the detailed design, all the equipment is placed on order. And then we kind of sit in a waiting period for the equipment to be delivered. And then once it's delivered, a small system like I was talking about, that one in December was a very small system that took two weeks. A larger system can take uh, four weeks, but it doesn't take typically more than four to six weeks to physically deliver, install, commission the system independently, do end-to-end -end testing with the IT components with their uh, IT interface through our API, to train their operators for both operation and maintenance, and to give them a week of post-go live support. So a large system is typically four to six weeks. That one that I was talking about for two weeks on site was a very small system. It only had 45 robots, I believe. Got it. And what is a large system uh, integration for you? What is a large contract for you? So the largest system we've installed to date had 2,700 individual uh, sort points. So 2,700 destinations to sort items to. That particular system had 344 robots in it, and it was capable of doing 18,000 an hour. And so our largest capacity system that we've ever done is one in Asia, where there are two side-by-side -side systems being fed on either side, and that system is doing 36,000 an hour, but it only has 700 destinations. So the number of destinations can be completely independent. And one thing that's very unique about our system is many of the systems of the past could never have thousands of destinations. Uh, as a matter of fact, a tilt tray and cross belt type of installations would send e-commerce orders, six to eight e-commerce orders down a chute, and then a person has to take them and individually sort them out to the individual orders. Our system, because we can fit thousands of locations in a very small footprint, we sort directly to the end order. So it takes away that labor to do the secondary sort. Now, we're 
talking primarily about e-commerce when I talk about the secondary sort. Uh, but we also do store replenishment of broken case and small case items going to restock the stores of the shelf. We do returns processing. We do uh, outbound shipping and cross-stock hub type of sortation for anything from a little mailer that has a, a lady's necklace in it to uh, poly bags to large boxes, etc. And uh, we even have an operation or um, an application where we do micro fulfillment and we can go into the back room of a grocery store or a super center or a mall anchor store um, and do batch pick and then use our machine to sort out the items for bottom line pickup and store or curbside and home delivery in the local market. So there's quite a few applications and uh, we're getting a lot of adoption across the spectrum. The most installs we've done to date uh, fall in three categories. E-commerce order fulfillment, sorting items to individual orders going to your home. Store replenishment, restocking the shelves of stores. And then small package sortation. Uh, when I say small package, I'm talking about packages that are typically under 20 pounds. And it could be that mailer, uh, a poly bag, that stuff that's a little, little oblong shape, or a, a bag or anything like that. So those are the number one applications. Shipping sortation e-commerce order fulfillment and uh, store replenishment. We believe long term that micro fulfillment can be as big or bigger than any of those because that's the, the general shift of the U.S. and the rest of the world's following as well, going to micro fulfillment. So that's your focus now, your micro fulfillment, I would say, that segment. Can you tell us a little bit about why this is a growth area what do you need to do to invest or the executives out there who are very much in the grocery stores and home delivering local markets? What, what do you need them to know? Uh, the number one message I would give to a grocer or a super center or a mall anchor type of store is that all the rage right now for micro fulfillment are what I would call ASRS systems. And these are systems that have a, large racking structure, and they have robots called shuttles or robots um, um, like an auto store system that runs on top. Walmart, for example, has 4,800 stores. Putting a three to $5 million automated system on the back of all those stores is a non-starter. It's never going to happen. Um, there are locations, high-volume stores, and a location where it can service two or three stores in a tight radius and some home delivery in the market where those types of systems make a lot of sense. But there are tens of thousands of stores in the U.S. alone that don't have the volume to justify something like that, and they need help. They either can't find the workers to do it, they, or they can't uh, achieve the capacity and the throughput to meet the demand in the local market. And so for those places, we've developed a very unique system where we can put a small version of our system in the existing space in the background for what we say a tenth of the cost, a tenth of the space, and a tenth of the lead time that you would get from one of those three to five million dollar systems. And uh, guess what? You'll get over half the savings of, of labor along with the uh, increase in capacity throughput and order accuracy because you use machines to sort the items out to the individual order. So the ROI on our system is phenomenal, typically less than a year to put in a system like that. 
And I just would like people to understand that you don't have to go down the path of millions of dollars everywhere. There is an alternative for uh, low to medium volume stores where you could use our technology. The ROI sounds fantastic, Mike, but let's talk a little bit about what are the implications for the labor market uh, in the US. There's increasing onshoring at the moment. There is an increase in making sure that there can be jobs in the US. So what are you doing to make sure that you're replacing those who are being automated out? Or is this not happening at all? Let's demystify that. So, you know, a lot of times when people hear the term uh, robots, they think it's going to displace humans from doing work. That is not the case right now in the U.S., nor is it the case in places like Japan and, and, and Europe. And I'll, let me explain that. So there are many, many locations where the employer cannot find the people to do the volume they need, to operate the shifts they need, to run the number of days they need. And so what robots are doing is not really replacing humans. They're allowing humans to manage more capacity and manage a fleet of robots doing tasks that are repetitious that humans do today. Uh, I like to tell a story about a 1.2 million square foot distribution center that I was in a couple of years ago that could only run one shift a day. They wanted to run it three shifts a day. They could not find the workers to run three shifts. So rather than spread it out and have management on three shifts with three times the management, they just ran one shift wide open with the people they could hire instead of running a slower amount across three shifts. So in that particular situation, robotics allowed that company to ramp up the capacity of that building to three shifts full capacity with the same staff they had. So I'd like to dispel the notion that robots take away jobs for people. That may happen in the future, but that's not really what's happening right now. I, I think that's a really interesting uh, example. And I guess one of my favorite examples in history have been the lamplighters. Lamplighters were, it was a dangerous job and actually it was very inefficient. Uh, in terms of efficiency, I can see why you're driving efficiently, I can see why. Is there anything dangerous in the current, um, in the warehousing space, which people need to know about? And this is why robots are central, just so that we can, in our minds, understand why this is adding value to human society. Well, so the robots, um, nothing against human beings, mind you, but robots don't get tired. They work 24-7 and uh, they do the same job over and over again with a consistent fill rate or accuracy. Um, humans are better at doing thinking tasks as opposed to repetitious, mind-numbing at times types of tasks like walking and picking up things and putting them on a pallet and, and things of that nature. And so um, I think you mentioned safety a second ago. Robots are being designed with safety built in. For example, our robots pass all UL and OSHA standards for safety in the workplace. Um, robots are being made collaborative and interactive with humans. And so they're being, they're much better than the machines of the past. And when I say collaborative and interactive, robots in a manufacturing cell or in a car assembly plant typically had 
large fencing around them where no one could step in there without killing the machine and locking it down before they could go into it. When I say collaborative, today we have robots that can pick up things and put them over to the side and a person could be standing right beside it. And if it bumps into the person, it'll just stop. And so they actually can work with people. They can drive down aisles where people are walking and not run into them. So this collaborative, uh, interactive type of situation that has been developed in the last few years, and it'll only get better going forward, has eliminated all safety concerns. And in terms of the current climate, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about how this has impacted your business and the wider industrial robotics industry and what this looks like in the next five to ten years? What do you, what do you foresee for the industry? So um, what we're seeing right now and have been for the past few years is large companies have recognized and got on the bandwagon of using robotics instead of traditional material handling systems. And so those uh, companies, the really large players, are the ones leading the charge and adopting it. And it has a trickle-down effect to other people. Um, and so uh, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of large customers, and we're excited about that. But there's been an event that we all are aware of, a little pandemic called COVID-19 that's happened. And so the amount of acceptance, adoption, and uh, rollout of robotics was going along in a nice steady clip on a steep, steep incline. Then we had COVID-19, everything kind of shut down. People tried to figure out what's going on. So everything kind of plateaued or went down a little bit because some customers put orders on hold. We had an installation or have an installation in New Zealand. We can't fly to New Zealand. Everything's sitting there, but they won't let us in the country to install it right now. So, um, Things kind of took a, a pause. But in the long run, in 2021 to 2025, you're going to see faster, more broad adoption of robotics than you ever would have seen if it wasn't for COVID-19. COVID-19 has progressed our industry, and I would say has leapfrogged two years into the future. So my belief is 2021, the rate of adoption, sales, uh, acceptance, and rollout will be where it should have been. Well, it would have been in 2023. It's moved our industry forward that much. And because of social distancing, because of flexibility, because of being able to uh, adopt to changes in customer habits and a, a variety of other factors, COVID-19 has been a horrible thing for the human race. But for robotic industry, it has been um, a, a catalyst or will be a catalyst. On that, on that note, I understand there's been a massive land grab in the last, let's say, 10 years of some of the largest robotics, industrial robotics companies, and with Kiva now going directly into fulfilling Amazon's orders. Now I understand there is a push towards collaboration and more industrial robotics companies working together. Can you tell us a little bit about most definitely. Um, so there are acquisitions that take place, and the, the, the Kiva acquisition by Amazon is the most famous one that everyone talks about. But there was another little one a year ago where Shopify bought Six River for $450 million. Now, Shopify did not do the same thing that Amazon did. Shopify has allowed Six River to sell to other customers. Amazon brought Kiva in-house and uh, does not sell that technology to anyone else. 
But uh, you're seeing just because of the Shopify Six River, that collaboration where you can still sell, but also people are working together. We have three projects sold with a collaboration of a robotic arm company called Right Hand Robotics out of Boston. We have a collaboration ongoing right now with IM Robotics for a unique application of our technology to do tote change. In other words, when the order is complete in the container along the side of our system, imagine a robot that drives up, picks up that carton, takes it out, and puts it empty in place. And so now you've automated the exit side of automation. Um, we're also uh, working with firms like uh, AutoStore uh, through integration partners where we're marrying the AutoStore ASRS HiQ uh, type of system with a T-Sort system. So the collaboration between different robotic and industrial application firms is really taking off. And when you can have a combination of the best of breed of this technology and the best of breed of that technology and so on and so forth and blend them together, you'll give the greatest ROI, the greatest benefit to the individual customer. That sounds like the future. And uh, I keep hearing this particular theme in mind, which is the industry is going to need to collaborate for the, to see wider benefits for the customer. And the customer that is probably listening right now is looking at how to plug and play all of this together. So I, I just want to say, Mike, on that note, I, I just want to say thank you. Is there any final pieces you'd like to, um, I would say, inform the audience about or just say something a little bit interesting about where your company is going moving forward? Well, I, uh, I would, once again, just, just encourage folks to check out our website. Uh, we also offer virtual tours of our lab. So I know people don't want to get on an airplane and fly to Orlando, although normally Orlando would be a great place to go, especially in the wintertime. But um, we can do through cameras and live video chat, we can walk you around our lab, show you all the different models, operate the systems for you, and explain the entire thing. So check out our website. If you're really interested and you want to do a virtual tour, you can do that while you're on the website. You can actually register and request that. And um, if you have a, a need for any type of uh, automation project, please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to be considered. And uh, T, I want to thank you for this afternoon, our conversation. I know it's evening time for you over in the UK, but uh, thank you for the conversation and the invitation, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike, and have a lovely afternoon. Take care. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and let us know what you liked. To follow along with future episodes, be sure to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice or head over to automatingthechain.com for the latest updates. Until next time.